Well, we'll be taking a slight detour this morning away from the book of Acts. So those of you that have been with us oh, for the last six months or so, we've been walking through the book of Acts. We just finished up Acts chapter 11 last Sunday. We're going to be taking a little detour from it this week in order to better understand the office of a New Testament elder. So if you'll remember last Sunday, when we were finishing up Acts chapter 11, um, and that was the context of the very first Gentile church. You'll remember that the gospel began spreading first and foremost from Jerusalem, and it was to go out to Judea and Samaria and beyond to the ends of the earth. And the first Gentile church is planted there in Antioch, which is modern-day Turkey. And Barnabas was sent from Jerusalem to look in on that church to see how things were going. He encouraged them with words of just staying faithful to Christ. After being there for a little bit of time, he realized that this was a far greater task than he was capable of doing. So he went and found Saul, who is the Apostle Paul as we know him. He goes and finds Saul, and he brings him to Antioch, and they teach that church for, it says, an entire year. They stayed there to nurture that church with God's word, with God's truth, and that church began to grow, and while that church was growing in maturity, they found out that there was a famine that was going to take place in some other parts of the world, particularly in Israel. They got together, they took up a collection, they sent money to strangers that they had never met, And at the end of verse 30 there, it says that they sent that money, the collection that they had brought together, that they had taken up, they sent it by the hands of Barnabas to these elders. So we scratch our head for a moment. We say, well, this is the first time that we've seen this word. It's kind of popped up out of nowhere. Who are these people? Who are these elders that are receiving this money? And what are they going to do with it? So the book of Acts, you say, why would we take an aside this Sunday? Well, that was the first occasion we've seen the word elder. It comes up nearly 20 more times in the book of Acts. So we are going to encounter this a lot. We need to understand and get to know these men a little bit. But also in the entire New Testament, it comes up almost 70 times. So this is a pretty significant word that I would say maybe on the whole, a lot of us might be a little bit unfamiliar with. Now, if you open your bulletins this morning, you'll notice that we have listed some names of elders in this church with their phone numbers, and that's for a purpose and for a reason, but maybe your knowledge might not go much beyond that, and so today we'll take a little survey and uh, hopefully give thanks to the Lord for his instruction from his word to us this morning on this idea of God's plan for church leadership. Now, maybe I understand that Some of us right off the bat might be wondering, well, what value is there for me in a sermon this morning? I'm just visiting here. I don't really understand that word. It's not used in the context of society very often. What what value is there in a sermon like this? What could I possibly gain out of it? Well, I think there's a number of reasons that a sermon like this would be valuable to us. Number one, it sharpens our thoughts Uh, about church leadership, especially in a church our size. We have people from all different church backgrounds, denominational backgrounds. And so a sermon like this morning will help all of us understand what we do here and why we do it, because we'll go to scripture um, to find our answers. Secondly, though, I think a sermon like this reinforces 
an us mentality, if you will, and causes us to hold our entire church accountable to the things that we find in Scripture and things that we find to be biblical practices. You know, it's all too common for us, and I think a little bit in a narcissistic way, we come to church and we think, what can I gain from this? What can I get out of this? What can I go home with today? And I'm not saying that's improper. The Lord should speak to us through his word, but brothers and sisters, we need to have a congregational understanding of a sermon as well. That it's not just I and me and myself that sits in a chair and is part of a church congregation. It's an us mentality. It's an us. When we are a part of a church, we are a part of a church body that is knit together and serves one another, and we do this life together, which is one of the tremendous privileges that we have to be a part of God's family, and, and it's us. So a sermon like today gives us that very real sense that this may not just be all about myself and my situation and my day, although I do pray that the Lord will speak to you wherever you are today, but a sermon like this gives us that very good us mentality, that this is our church, this is something that God wants us to hold ourselves accountable to. And then finally, I think a sermon like this will allow us to see the grace and goodness of God in gifting his church with wise and caring governance. Wise and caring governance. You know, government structures really matter. And, and they have an impact on the way people are treated. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, traveling to some countries around the world where there might be dictatorship rule or there's no accountability in government. Those are very often very oppressive forms of government. The people suffer under those things. Might we gain a sense this morning as we look at God's plan for church leadership that it is anything but oppressive. It is actually set up so that we are shepherded best under our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And there are people who actually care and love and feed and teach and point you to the real Savior to look off of ourselves as being fallen, sinful creatures and look to the one that can do something about it. No human will fill that role for you. If we try to fill our lives with human substitutes for what only God can do, we will be always and thoroughly and forever disappointed. But when you have a friend and you have someone in your life who is pointing you to the ultimate solution, the one who can fulfill your heart and your soul's longest uh, needs... That is a true friend. And so God, in his wisdom, in a form of church governance, sets up these elders to point you to Christ and to love one another. It's a caring, loving, wise form of governance that the Lord has set up. So let us appreciate that, first and foremost, that this is a gift from the Lord that we're learning about today, not to make much of men, but to make much of Christ and so with these thoughts in mind, I want us to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning, titled this morning's message, God's Plan for Church Leadership. And we're going to be going to 1 Peter chapter 5 because it really has the most compacted details and descriptions of eldership all in one place. As I mentioned before, the term elder appears almost 70 times in the New Testament, so it's scattered around in different places. Each one of those contexts is contributing something unique or a detail. But 1 Peter 5 here will make the largest contribution to this conversation with an overall picture of 
Who are these elders? What are they to do? And what kind of authority do they have? So I trust we'll answer these questions here as we come to 1 Peter chapter 5. The first point we'll look at here is in verse 1, and we're just going to ask questions of these few verses here this morning. The first question is this, who are these elders? Who are these elders? Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory of that is going to be revealed. So this is the Apostle Peter writing. We need to keep that in mind. In the opening verse of this book of 1 Peter, he's already identified himself as the Apostle. He says, I'm the Apostle, the one that's writing to you. So he is an Apostle, but he's also setting aside that special designation of Apostle, of which we know there were 12, the the 12 as they're often referred to in Scripture, He's setting aside that special designation and he's identifying himself with all of the leaders of all of the churches of the ancient world. He uses this term elder. What is this word exactly? I don't know about you. When I hear the word elder, my mind might immediately go to elderly. That's probably a a very quick and common association. And, And there's some truth to that as an elder, is to have maturity. It's required that they have maturity, but it has more to do with spiritual maturity and spiritual wisdom than just how old a person is. So someone could be 70 years old, but not be spiritually mature. Someone could be half their age and be spiritually mature. Elder would speak more to the spiritual maturity of a person than just a number behind their name, an age, if you will. The Greek word that's used for elder is presbyteros. Simply means an older or a more mature or experienced person that can guide or that can lead. That is it, Uh, maybe a definition, a helpful definition in its most general term. It's an older, mature, experienced person who can guide or lead. That's roughly the way it was used throughout the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, those that were referred to as elder were community officials and people like that, having a status or a title uh, uh, close to that. But it takes on a new significance here in the New Testament as it begins to be used more and more to describe an office of a leader in the church. So the word kind of made a bit of transformation from the Old Testament to the New, and now it's specifically or uniquely referring to, when used in the New Testament, those who are holding an office of leadership in the church. This is exactly how we find this word elder used in Titus chapter 1 verse 5. Uh, I don't have it for you on the screen, but you can just listen as I read. Paul is writing to Titus, a a young pastor, and he said, this is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So he is to be appointing pastors in these churches in each of these towns. It's describing a designated set of men who would be appointed as church leaders. Now, significantly, these men had to meet certain qualifications in order to be an elder. Let me read these for you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, 
and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So these men that had a desire to serve God in this way and also met the spiritual qualifications were assigned the office of elder. That's exactly what's taking place in some of those newer churches where Paul was writing to Titus there in Titus chapter 1. One more point I want to make here. Each instance we have of elders in the New Testament, there's always a plurality of them. Uh, they're always more than one. There's no example in the New Testament of a solo elder, a, a CEO type, if you will, or, or a president type leadership. This is always done in plurality, in numbers. Acts chapter 14, verse 23, there was to be appointed elders in the plural, meaning more than one, in every church, singular. In James chapter 5, verse 14, if someone is sick, let them call for the elders, plural, more than one, of the church, singular, and have those elders pray over that person. So God's design is not for a man with a solo voice or someone with solo power to be in charge, but a godly group of men serving and leading together. Again, this is the wisdom of the Lord to put this governance in the church. So just a short recap here. Who are these elders? They are spiritually mature men who are counted on to guide and lead God's church. They meet moral and gifted qualifications and then are appointed to this office. As always with the plurality or a group of elders is the case. It's never on their own. It's always with a, a group of them for collective wisdom and collective accountability. And this is the very same pattern that we seek to follow and do here at Lexington Community Church. We kind of uh, craft our uh, ideas of this around the letter C, asking if a man is called, if he has the character, and he has the convictions, and so on. But we follow the pattern that we find here in the New Testament. So, I was covering some of the more technical information, if you will. But let's go back into 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to simply ask this question, well, what do these elders do? What do these men do? Or, or as a question that I often get with people that aren't too familiar with the pastorate, so now you only work on Sundays, right? That's all you do, Sundays. Yes, six days off in a week is fantastic and work on Sundays. But let's get back into this text here first. Peter chapter 5, and asking this question, what do elders then do? Verse 2, Peter says, I exhort you as a fellow elder, verse 2, to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. We notice right away here in verse 2 that the elders have two main tasks. 
shepherd the flock of God, and exercise oversight. What does it mean to shepherd the flock? What is this task of shepherding? You know, the word picture of shepherd and sheep has a long history in Israel. Isaiah chapter 40, we were told that God would tend his flock like a shepherd. God himself, using the picture of a shepherd, taking care of his people and tending them just as a shepherd would his flock of sheep. Psalm 23, probably one of the most famous chapters in all of Scripture. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, as David is writing. And he's speaking and praying and thinking about God as his shepherd. And with the Lord in charge, he will never be in want. Even though he would walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he would fear no evil because that shepherd in heaven is with him. So this, this picture has a long-standing um, popularity and, and is used to, to understand this idea of one giving care over another. Jesus Christ himself took up this picture when he said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. And he took care of those who were following him as that good shepherd. Peter was familiar with this picture too because it was Jesus who, to, who told Peter to shepherd his people. He basically said, pastor my flock, feed my sheep in John chapter 21. Three times over, he told Peter, shepherd my flock, feed the sheep. So it's a well-known, it's a well-used way to refer to caring for God's people. It's a pivotal figure for us to understand when he tells the elders, shepherd the flock. Now, we can go a little bit deeper than that by saying that the primary way that an elder shepherds the flock is by feeding them with God's word. Not by feeding with their own thoughts and ideas. Not by feeding with their own wisdom and ingenuity. Feeding with God's word. Feeding the flock with God's word. This is the way that Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 11 describes pastoring and shepherding. It's by teaching and feeding. So we could just say it this way in summary. A faithful elder will feed the souls of God's people by teaching them God's word. Task, a priority. Shepherd the flock by feeding God's word to the people. There's a second task, though, mentioned there. It's the exercising of oversight. This means that elders are to watch over and supervise or manage the church. They're to lead the church with wise and good supervision. First uh, Timothy 3.5 speaks of this as being a caretaker. And it says this, if an elder cannot manage his own house, how can he take care or be a caretaker of God's church? His management of the home would then be a microcosm of his ability to manage God's church because that is a task of a faithful elder as well. Finally, we saw here in verses 2 and 3, there are some motives that go behind this, and there's a number of them that are listed as what not to do as a leader and what should happen or the motives that should be there. An elder should not feel compelled to serve, but freely willing and joyful to do it. An elder should not do it for shameful gain. There shouldn't be greed involved. It shouldn't be done as a way to gain money or power. 
An elder should not be domineering. This is not a position of a power play for authority, but it's an opportunity to serve God's people and to be an example to them. So, in summary for this point, what are elders to do? In the simplest of terms, feed and lead. Feed and lead. Feed the word of God, bring nourishment and growth to the church, which if you come to a church where the elders are doing this, you should be having your soul nourished. You should be felt, uh, feeling fed, knowing that God's word is being food to your soul and you are growing by it. And then also to lead in directions that are wise and good and godly. Verses four and five give us a third point this morning. Speaking of oversight, lest elders would be tempted to abuse a position like this, for selfish gain, we've already been warned against that. But look with me at verses 4 and 5. What kind of authority does an elder have? Is it absolute authority? Is it solo authority? What, what, what kind of authority is this? Look with me at chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger... Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. These two verses open with a humble reminder and they close with the command to live humbly. That humble reminder in verse 4 is this. Every elder is but an under-shepherd. The authority that an elder has is a delegated authority. It's not a self-serving authority. It is an authority that comes only by being an under-shepherd of the chief shepherd, which is Jesus Christ. An elder does not have uh, authority of their own accord, but they pastor, they shepherd underneath the authority of Christ. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus is the one we follow. Jesus is the one we lift up. Jesus Christ is the one who is sovereign over our souls. He alone is the one who can save. He alone is the one who can nurture. He alone is the one who can comfort. He alone is the one who brings strength to our hearts. And so it is Christ who is the chief shepherd. It's for this reason that the apostle Paul could say, imitate me but only as I imitate Christ. Don't imitate me as a human. Imitate me as someone who is following <clears throat> Christ Jesus himself. Paul recognized that his life and his example was only as good and spiritual as it reflected the chief shepherd. So an elder shepherds God's flock well only as he recognizes that he is an under-shepherd of the chief shepherd. Then in verse 5, it says there's no room for pride. <clears throat> there's no room for self-exaltation. There's no room for selfishness or self-seeking in God's kingdom. The church should be a place and it should be an atmosphere that practices humility. This starts with the leadership. Humbly serving the chief shepherd, humbly acting towards others, clothed with humility. And so what kind of authority do elders have? If we were to answer that question here, 
We would say it's a delegated authority, comes from God, it's not their own. It's a plural authority, it's shared with others. It is not one person getting the voice, one person getting the power. It is a humble authority. Its purpose is to serve, not to be served. Finally, there's one last question this morning, and we're going to jump over to Ephesians chapter 4 to answer this question. But we would ask this question, what is the goal then of church leadership? What is the goal of an under-shepherd? What is the goal of an elder? We'll find here the goal is to equip the church unto maturity in Jesus Christ. It would be just as the Apostle John said that Christ must increase and we must decrease. Everything in all roads lead to Christ. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 4. We'll close on this point, reading verses 13, 11 through 13. Ephesians 4 says this, And he, that is Christ, gave, so these are gifts, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or to maturity, growing up like a young child grows up to adulthood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So God gave these titles, he gave these offices, he gave these gifts, he gave these structures for a wonderful purpose. It is to equip the congregation, it is to equip all of us for ministry. As we all minister together, we become unified in the faith. As we all minister together, we grow in Christ-likeness. Those are the results. And so the Lord gives teachers Shepherds, overseers, not to gain things unto themselves, but to give and serve the church so that the entire church is ready and prepared for ministry so that we serve one another and grow and mature together. What a great treasure of the church it is to have equipped people who are encouraging one another. This is a great treasure from the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we hope and pray that this is your experience at Lexington Community Church. We pray that the elders here feed and lead well as under shepherds, practicing God's church, God's way for God's glory and the growth of God's people. We pray that it results in your being equipped for the Christian life, that you don't just come and sit and then leave here and be unchanged, but that you come and you are equipped, you are built up. It is in your mind, it is in your heart to serve others, to look wonderfully and and, uh, worshipfully at God and allow him to strengthen your life, to be equipped in all of these ways, especially to participate in the work of ministry to build one another up in their faith. What a great treasure this is to spend our lives loving, caring, praying, building one another up in the faith. Let me just conclude with these couple of thoughts. It's not too difficult to look around and find unbiblical or unhealthy forms of church governance and church leadership. 
There are ministries and churches that promote celebrity pastors, that promote solo pastors. Um, you can turn on the television or YouTube, the radio podcast, and, and see this all over the place. There is a high percentage of those ministries and those churches that do not end well, and we could understand exactly why. No human is supposed to stand in that place of celebrity. They are to point to Christ. I'm familiar with churches that either have no pastors or elders or some that think that everybody is a pastor or an elder in leadership of some sort. So it's not too difficult to look around and find ways that would be governed in churches that would be unbiblical. None of those reflect the way God has planned and communicated for churches to be governed. Instead, what we've seen here this morning in just a brief survey a couple of these texts. God is all wise. And let me just say this a little tongue in cheek here. God is all wise to place fallen human under shepherds, of which I am one, in a position to feed and lead his church. Not in order to make much of men, but to expose our weaknesses, to expose disappointments that you would have with a, a human pastor, a human elder. And he does this with imperfect men so that you will look beyond us. So that you would look beyond the elders and look to the great shepherd who will never disappoint. I don't understand this, but in God's wisdom, he puts fallen human men in this position but it is to have us look beyond human elders to Christ who is all perfect, who is all kind, who is all good, who is the chief shepherd in Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. He is our captain. He is the one we look to. And so Christ tends his flock, you and me, as a perfect shepherd. And it is in him and in him alone that we find our rest and peace. Brothers and sisters, might we be a church, takes up a biblical form of eldership, but also speaks very truthfully and frankly to you that you have no perfect elders here. We're but men who have offered ourselves to the Lord and with all of our flaws and faults and sins, but our calling is to point you to a greater one who never will let you down, who never will disappoint. Instead, his desire is to capture your soul with his love and carry you to heaven forevermore, washing your sins away by the death that he died on the cross. He is our chief shepherd. So in as far as we can point one another to him, brothers and sisters, let us do that. Let us be a healthy church that points one another to Christ, our chief shepherd. Let's close our time this morning in prayer. Father, we realize this is a bit of an unusual, uh, unique sermon this morning, uh, looking at this office of eldership, the way that you set up church governance. But Lord, we want to thank you, first of all, uh, for, for the way that you do this. 
for having a, a plural form of leadership, for having a character uh, that must be met in order to do this. Lord, this is, a, this is a gift from you and it serves us well. You are wise to do it. But Lord, at the same time, may our attention focus never be on human governing, but instead might our focus forever and always be on Christ. Might we be a church that proclaims his excellencies in all ways, proclaims his love for us, pro- proclaims his unending, unshakable love for us in the cross. And Lord, if there be anyone here today that has never called out to Christ for the forgiveness of sins, repenting and turning from those things and place their faith and hope and trust in you forevermore, pray that today might be the day they do that. Strengthen us with your word this morning, Lord. Press it to our hearts by your spirit. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen.